Hi, this is Eric Goldwine, host of the Nursing Home 411 podcast. We at LTCCC just completed a major project on nursing home oversight. And on this episode, we're going to talk about it. In the interview, I'm joined by my LTCCC colleagues, Richard Mollett and Haley Cronquist, and we'll chat about the expectations and reality of nursing home enforcement. Here's our music by Silverman Sound Studios. Hi, I'm Eric Goldwine. I'm here with LTCCC Executive Director and gin enthusiast, Richard Mollett, <laughs> and uh, with uh, Haley Cronquest, policy attorney and expert in Microsoft Word Table of Contents. <laughs> oh, gosh. <Poor> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yikes. <laughs> uh, so uh, this, is the L- this is part of the LTCCC team. This is our policy team. And we spent the better part of the last year working on a project focusing on nursing home enforcement. And this was developed with the generous support of the New York Community Trust. And today we're going to talk about it. Uh, I'm going to start off just with a quote from the project, uh, and then I'm going to have Richard and Haley and I'll also discuss components of the project myself, and we'll walk you through what, what we did, why we did it, and what it means for you as an advocate, as a resident, as a family member, as a researcher. So here's the quote. Uh, it, it's in the report. We'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, Despite the law and regulatory standards, serious nursing home problems are persistent and widespread. The reason for this is that fundamentally, care standards can only make a difference in the lives of residents when they are enforced by the state and federal agencies responsible for nursing home oversight. So I I think this kind of captures a lot of what we did here. The theme of the project is expectation versus reality. And Richard, can you talk about how this project came to be and what the expectation is and what the reality is? Uh, Thanks, Eric. So I've been actually, I celebrated my 19th anniversary with the organization yesterday. Um, Sarah Rosenberg, our office manager, informed me. And I've always wondered over the last 19 years why there's such a um, a discrepancy, such a disconnect between the nursing home reform law, the federal nursing home reform law, and the regulations that are supposed to implement that law and the lives of residents and the experiences we hear about from residents and families and people who work with them, especially long-term care ombudsmen. So I've been really interested throughout my career. And of course, uh, I think this is an important, um, you know, I think it's an important report, but to look at, you know, what is going on there? Why is there this disconnect and how can we, um, how can we work to address it? How can we work to make the reality more match what the expectations and the requirements are? And where are these expectations, these rules, these guidelines? So where do we find them? Can you just like Google nursing home laws? Uh, is there some website? Haley, uh, can you walk us through this? Yeah, absolutely. So the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, that is the federal agency that is responsible for overseeing nursing home care, um, making sure that residents receive the, the uh, you know, appropriate and quality care and services that they need. Um, and so they do this by, they contract with state 
agencies. And these are usually state departments of health. And these state agencies are the people that conduct these surveys. So they go into nursing homes, they survey the facilities, they are you know, they have all these different expectations that they are required to look for. And those things are found in what's called the state operations manual. So the state operations manual is a federal document that is issued by CMS, the federal agency. Um, and it is essentially the, the how-to for, uh, for surveys and certification. Um, and so it's, it's instructions and guidelines and protocols and checklists. So it's really everything that a surveyor needs to know when they go into a facility to assess, you know, whether or not a facility is meeting the requirements that it is supposed to. So that's that's where you can find all of this information. But again, the state operations manual is a huge document. It's 10 chapters long. It's very robust. It's very detailed. And so there are, you know, certain sections that are more specific to nursing homes. And that's what we did with our guide was we pulled out the, uh, the information that we find or found was, you know, really important for, uh, people involved in the nursing homes to, to know. Um, so, and, you know, it's really important for, for advocates and family members and residents to know this information so that they know what they can expect when a surveyor goes into a facility. And so, you know, if, if we don't know what we, what we can and should be expecting from these oversight agencies, then, you know, there's really no way for us to keep them accountable. Mm-hmm. And w- what's an example of something that someone would find in the guide and how might a... Um advocate or a family member or even a researcher use, Mm -hmm. use that? Yeah. So there's, you know, the guide, our our guide is, is still 86 pages long. So it's still um, a pretty extensive document, but we did break it up into six sections with that, which I think is really helpful. So um, one specific example would be the complaint process, the complaint and incident process. So um, if a nursing home resident has a complaint about something, they can voice that to, you know, anyone in their facility, they can also voice it to make a formal complaint to the state agency, the state department of health. Um, and so then there's a whole process for how the complaint and incident, you know, process is handled. Um, and so it's, it's in the guide, it's under the survey types of survey section in the guide. So there are essentially three objectives to that process. The first is protective oversight. And so um, when a complaint is first identified, the surveyor essentially analyzes it to figure out the best way to respond to that complaint. So, you know, they will find if there's one that, you know, has a greater potential for actual harm, that one will be uh, investigated immediately. Um, And then, you know, it goes from there. The second objective is prevention. So if there's no threat of serious harm, then the complaint is still investigated and it's, you know, um, it's looked at to basically how, like how they can correct it so that there are less serious complaints and to prevent it from becoming more serious. Um, And then the third objective is promoting efficiency and quality. So if a complaint is not directly related to the federal requirements, um, then it's forwarded to the appropriate agency so that, you know, it can still be handled, but maybe not by the state survey agency. So an example of that would be like a billing issue. Thanks. And on our website, this is all broken down into sections. Again, we'll provide that link. And it's also in the table of contents. Richard, you've been in this for decades, um, and you've seen 
you've seen how this actually works and it doesn't always quite work how it's spelled out on paper. Can you talk about what the reality is here? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, as we were talking about earlier on, the, the rules are really strong. The nursing and reform law is, is really strong. It focuses on resident-centered care and requires that nursing homes provide care and services and an environment that uh, is individualized and that really fosters the resident's um, highest practicable well-being, both uh, emotional and psychosocial, and of course, uh, medical, clinical. The issue really is, is that why isn't that happening? And, you know, it's not happening fundamentally because nursing homes are not providing. providing. We know from our data that we publish every quarter, the federal data, um, that most nursing homes are understaffed. Uh, We know from uh, many, many reports, including the Government Accountability Office, that nursing homes had a high rate of substandard infection control practices in the years leading up to the COVID-19 pandemic. And then so from our perspective, you know, we, we were thinking, well, you know, we have the, we have the law, we have the rules, they're good, the nursing homes aren't doing a good job, what's the disconnect, what's happening, and what's happening is that the states, which, as Haley was saying, are charged with overseeing that care, both through the surveys, the inspections that they conduct on a regular basis, as well as through complaints that they receive from residents or their, or their representatives, that not much seems to happen there. there. There seems to be another failure at that level, what I kind of think of as a domino effect, a failure at the facility level, failure at the state level, and then failure at the federal level to ensure that residents receive the care that they need and they deserve. The first part of the report that Haley spoke about was the guide and that talked about the expectation. The second part of the report is more data focused. What we did was we reviewed three years of of citation data, of enforcement data, and I'll get into the specific data findings, but we went over 290,000 Uh, survey results, and we looked at what happened, when were they identified as harm, what states were more likely to identify harm um, in different categories. But we called it broken promises. So I'm going to get to the data after this, but Richard, why did we call it broken promises and who is breaking what promise? I've been thinking a lot about this. You know, we changed that. This wasn't the original title of the report. The original title of the report was was more like an assessment of state oversight. And then in my third or fourth or fifth reading of it, uh, as we were going through and and editing, I thought, you know what, this is really, the the issue at hand here is the broken promise, is that the nursing homes make a promise and a commitment to provide care to residents, and too often that is broken. But what we're really getting at in this study, what the study results show actually, is that the state agencies that are charged with ensuring that nursing homes are doing the right thing for residents and families and for taxpayers, because we pay for most nursing home care in this country, um, that that promise is far too often broken. That to me is what the, the, the main takeaway is and what the data show. The premise is the broken promise. I'm going to go over a few of the data points from the project. So as I said, we reviewed 290,000 citations 
each of them have a, have a story from a nursing home letting a resident go weeks without a shower to another nursing home so understaffed that a resident with a, a condition said that they were fearing for their life. So there's 290,000 of these. These data sets attach an F tag to each of the citations. So an F tag describes what kind of deficiency is this? Is it related to staffing? Is it related to antipsychotics, infection control? And each of the 290,000 deficiencies is also uh, assigned a scope and severity code. And this determines the level of harm that the surveyor categorized the deficiency. It's an A through L scale with those G or above being categorized as harm and those J, K, L are categorized as immediate jeopardy. So some highlights, we found that surveyors recorded one citation for every 13 residents in the three-year period from 2018 to 2020. So that that means that at a, a 130 bed facility, you would expect 10 citations in a given year. Now that number by itself seems okay. It seems somewhat reasonable, but consider that of those uh, citations, only 5% were categorized as harm and only 1.8% were categorized as immediate jeopardy. So that brings it to uh, one in every 260 residents in a given year are assigned a harm citation. What we found was that in some categories, such as antipsychotics, there were many states that didn't record a single antipsychotic harm citation. And this is true in other categories as well. And we also found that there was significant variation state to state, region to region, regions being the U.S. is broken into 10 CMS regional like locations, uh, region two is New York, New Jersey, Puerto Rico. Uh, Region 10 is the Northwest, and they're broken down geographically. But we also found significant variation regionally as well. And in our home states, Richard's in New Jersey, uh, Haley's in Brooklyn, I'm in Astoria. Uh, New York and New Jersey were among the states with the lowest enforcement rates consistently uh, across categories. In addition to having the lowest citation rates, these two states were also less likely to identify certain citations as harm. So just as an example, in an average year in New York, there was one citation for every 50 residents. And compare that to Alaska, uh, in an average year, there was one citation for every four residents. So that was a mouthful of numbers. And the summary of it all is that their citation, harm citations were very rare, uh, immediate je- jeopardy citations, even rarer, and significant state variation. Richard, what do we make of this? So the, the reason why these data are important is, and, and what they have to say is important, is because, as, as you were saying, Eric, they show that it's very rare, uh, relatively speaking, that a state agency Uh, will cite a nursing home. And even more rare, as you said, only 5% of the time does the state agency identify any resident harm or resident being put in immediate jeopardy of harm when it cites a healthcare violation. 
And that identification of harm or media jeopardy, IJ, as we say, is really critical because in the absence of an identification of harm or IJ, there is almost no chance that a facility will face a penalty. So what that translates to, what that means is that for 95% of the health violations, uh, substandard care, neglect, et cetera, the facility is unlikely to face, a facility is unlikely to face any penalty whatsoever. And the message that this sends from our perspective to the industry is that level of substandard care, that level of neglect is okay. We will still pay you for that care and we won't penalize you for the repercussions. Quite often, what a surveyor finds in a no harm citation, I think any reasonable person would consider to be harm or harmful. I think this struck a nerve with providers. And one of the rebuttals is that, so what if there's, there's no citations? Uh, maybe that's like just saying that if arrest rates are low in a community and so it assumes the police aren't doing their jobs. And that was mentioned in a Crane's article. Um, what's the response to that? Well, that's, I mean, I, I think that's a really important question. That's why when we did this study, as, as people can see, and uh, Eric in particular did a great job. So people, we have maps up there and people can look at what's going on in this, their state. We didn't just look at citation rates from state to state to state. We didn't just look at fines from state to state to state. We actually looked at not just the citation data, close to 300,000 citations, as Eric mentioned, but we also looked at years of quality measure data. So we looked at the rates of pressure ulcers in nursing homes. Pressure ulcers are a very serious condition. According to, to um, experts, they are almost always avoidable or treatable with appropriate care and monitoring, yet over 7% of nursing home residents in our country have pressure ulcers. We also looked at antipsychotic drugging, a known issue, a known concern by both the government, by the providers, and of course, by residents and those of us who work, work for them. Antipsychotic drugs are very dangerous. They carry an FDA warning against use on elderly people with dementia because of a high risk of stroke, heart attack, Parkinsonism, et cetera. This has been a key issue of our advocacy and our education for close to 10 years now um, to reduce the, the overuse and inappropriate use of antipsychotics. So we looked at, we didn't, again, we didn't just look at, oh, who, how many citations are out there? We looked at how many citations are out there in respect to people getting antipsychotic drugs. We looked at how many citations are out there in respect to pressure ulcer rates. We also looked at, at, at specific issues like staffing to see, because as, as we said at the beginning, uh, and this is widely known and widely recognized by researchers, most nursing homes in this country, about 75% clearly have inadequate staff to even meet the basic clinical requirements of their residents, no matter treatment with dignity. So we looked at it in terms of these issues to provide some solidity and for the, um, for the findings and for what the, those data showed. And frankly, it's, it was really shocking to me to see, as you mentioned earlier, Eric, how few of the citations for inappropriate antipsychotic drugging, which providers and surveyors have all been trained about over the past 10 years um, through the federal government, especially that this is a dangerous um, and inappropriate 
care, you know, a portion of too many residents care that still, even when the, when the surveyor identified inappropriate antipsychotic drugging, they still found that the vast majority of the time that that was neither harmful nor put any resident in immediate jeopardy. So um, it is an important question, but it's actually a fundamental question that we premised our whole, our whole study on. Mm-hmm. To kind of complete the arrest rates analogy, we have for specifically for antipsychotics and for pressure ulcers, we have what is the equivalent of the crime data. It's, it's exactly. not a perfect analogy, but we have the rates of antipsychotics in each state. We have the rates of pressure ulcers. So we know we have a general sense of how often is this not going right for residents. So we can address uh, that assumption that it's not just because there's low crime or because there's low pressure ulcers or because there's low antipsychotics, because we have those numbers. Um, So this report, we'll post it in the show notes. It's available on our website, nursinghome411.org slash survey dash enforcement. Again, nursinghome411.org slash survey dash enforcement. And we're going to close this with our guest recommendations or our staff recommendations. Uh, It's a free for all. So we're all going to just recommend whatever. I'm going to start with you, Haley. What what do you have for us? My recommendation is a book that I recently finished. Um, It's called City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, It is just, it's just a really clever and witty novel. Um, It's written from the perspective of a woman who grew up in Manhattan in the 1940s. Um, You know, she was kicked out of college because she was just kind of being a bum. And so she moved in with her aunt in New York City. Um, And her aunt is kind of this eclectic lady who like owns this theater in Midtown. And it's just kind of a coming of age story. Um, And it's, it's, it's so, so funny. I honestly, I found myself laughing out loud while I was reading it in public. And I was like, okay, this is (laughs) embarrassing. Um, But it is, it is just, it's so, it's so well done. So that's my all right, uh, Richard, what do you got for us? Uh, well, I'll, I'll do two recommendations. One related to long-term care is that I've been reading and watching a, uh, a blog called Tallgrass Economics. Uh, and one of the bloggers there is Dave Kingsley. He does a lot of work looking at the, uh, the finances that underlie the nursing home industry. And, and in this case, we certainly would call it an industry and, and where the money goes. And, and he's really smart. We actually featured him on a webinar recently, which should be on our, is on our YouTube channel. And then I was asked by Eric and, and Haley to wax poetic on my gin. So I, I thought about this and um, I'm gonna make three recommendations because I am a gin aficionado. And I would say, my three recommendations are one is a lower price but good gin, and that's Gordon's, I would say, for those of you who are, and I'm a martini, so that's also a martini aficionado, not so much a gin tonic uh, aficionado. I don't like things standing between me and my gin, <laughs> except, for, except for maybe an, an olive or three. So if you are looking to spend a little bit less, Gordon's is, is pretty good. And I would say for a pricey but not outrageous middle ground, I am a big fan of Bombay Sapphire Gin. Though I had Hendrix last night, Hendrix is really good too. 
And then if you want to splurge, as I've told Haley, who also drinks gin, I think I can say, uh, Monkey 47 is really delicious. And I'm also a big fan of Aviator, which is Ryan Reynolds' um, gin. It's also really good. A bit pricey, but not quite as pricey as Monkey 47, which is, is pretty expensive. So I've never given a recommendation. I've, I've always been uh, soliciting oh. recommendation. So this is my first one. I'm a little nervous, but I'm going to recommend the book Why We Dream by uh, Alice Robb. It's about the science and the psychology of why we dream. And I've always kind of been interested in the meaning of dreams, like when you're more prone to remember your dreams, why we can, why we immediately forget them, why I have the recurring dream of not studying for the exam for my high school year or not getting that last credit. Like, why does that happen? Relatedly, and I'm only saying this so I follow through with it. Uh, my second recommendation is turning off your phone at night or putting it in another room. I have a tech addiction problem and I've been trying to find interventions and I've done started doing that the last couple of weeks. And now that I put it into the airwaves, I'm going to be held accountable by uh by you too, and whoever uh, <laughs> wants, to, wants to yell at me. So yeah, those are my two recs. And I, that's that's what we got to hear. Again, the reports, they're user-friendly. You can read just a section. You can check out some interactive maps. You can read it all. You can go to the source material and check out the 10,000 pages of the state operations manual if you want. I don't suggest that, but the source is there and it actually can be helpful if you want to really, really dig in. Check it out, nursinghome411.org slash survey dash enforcement. Uh, thank you, Haley and Richard for joining. Thank you, Eric. It was fun. Thank you. 